KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon. We are waist deep into the best time of year for college basketball fans, the NCAA tournament. But this year, along with the games, the headlines have also been focused on some pretty big disparities when it comes to what is available for the players taking part in the men's tournament compared to what is available for players taking part in the women's tournament. Things like the size and quality of the weight room. How does stuff like this still happen in 2021? Wanted to drill down on this, so we reached out to Dr. Karen Weaver. She is an adjunct assistant professor at the University of Pennsylvania. She has been a collegiate head coach and an administrator, and she can speak about this from all angles. Really important conversation. Give a listen. So I'd just like to start, just kind of get your feelings about the last week. Is there, there's kind of been story after story, social media post after or social media post of the differences in what the men's basketball athletes at the NCAA tournament have the availability towards as against the women's basketball tournament and and just how disappointing and how does it hit you? You know, it's like everything else this year. A pandemic exposes all the the crevices and the cracks in an organization. And the fact that first March Madness was so desperately needed to happen for financial reasons on the men's side. And then when they rolled that out, the initial reaction was people asked them, what are you going to do about the women? And the reaction was, well, Oh, yeah, I guess we better do something about the women. That's the constant feeling that women get when it comes to their sporting events. And I can think of this all through the NCAA championships. It just feels time and time again that the women's event is an add-on to the men's event. So therefore, at times, it becomes an afterthought and not properly budgeted for or managed in an appropriate way. And that's a cultural issue. That has to change. As someone who has been connected with teams you've run athletic departments you know the players from what we've seen in the inequity in the men's setup and the women's setup how does it happen and you mentioned it's kind of cultural it's kind of almost baked into the cake but is nobody saying hey wait a minute this is going to look bad and today's day and age it's going to come out even if it's for the wrong reasons wouldn't you think somebody would come out and say, hey, we really should go the extra mile here? Well, the question is, who is that somebody? So the, the folks who work at the NCAA are hardworking. They care deeply about the student-athlete experience. I don't, I don't question that one bit. But the problem becomes when you disperse power through an organization, um, communication patterns can get disrupted. And Lynn Holtzman, the vice president of women's basketball at the NCAA, said to Holly Rowe, it's a pandemic, and we normally sit in close spatial uh, contact with the men's uh, men's committee chairs and, and the men's operators. And we weren't there this year. We were doing everything by Zoom. So perhaps there was a missed conversation because we weren't physically in the same space. But I also think, Matt, it, and, and I've been in the NCAA ever since women's athletics came into it. There's just always been the sense that it's second. It's a, it's a second thought. And, and, and you and I were talking earlier about the rise of women's basketball and the rise of women's sports, like, like the pro hockey and, and, so, and softball and volleyball and women's soccer and, and so many other areas that have just seen explosive growth in viewership and fan attendance in terms of marketing and media dollars. And yet, for some reason, the NCAA seems way behind on this curve. And this is just a classic example of leading from behind rather than leading from ahead. And to that point, 
this is kind of what we're talking about off the air. As huge as the men's tournament is, I, I don't know that it is possible for it to get bigger. Like, it is a standard bearer athletic event in American society. That being said, you see the growth on the women's side. And the TV ratings across the board are up. When the games are on, people are watching. There's more engagement on social media. So how do smart people in the NCAA, even if you only want to look through a cynical business lens, not say, hey, you know what? We might have hit the ceiling here. It's going to stay there on the men's side. But, man, could we monetize the women's side if we dove into it like we do the men's side? I'm just amazed that that conversation doesn't happen. And like I said, even if it's for the cynical business, maybe wrong reasons that it's not happening. Yeah. I mean, they've talked about their growth and their revenues, you know, both the ticketing and the media rights and the exposure, you know, it used to be, you only got to see the final four and then you got to see the sweet 16 and now you're seeing all 64 teams, you know, every game on different channels. It's remarkable. It's really remarkable. But again, I don't think the the folks who are sitting in the rooms making those decisions, and this is a committee-driven organization. It is not, you know, the the czar, Roger Goodell czar of of the NFL. This is a committee-driven, and you're taking into account that all the ADs and presidents who are sitting in those rooms are as aware of the economic shifts in the marketplace as maybe you and I are. So they may continuously just look at it as another thing to check off each year. This is the way we've always done it. This is the way we'll do it going forward. And great that we're getting in more money, but we have more expense because we had to buy more hotel rooms or we had to pay for more food or, you know, they're looking at it that way as a cost benefit analysis versus the premier sports property in, in all of college athletics as a chance to have a second premier sports property in all of college athletics. I mean, this has really been pushed the story that's been on social media on all different angles. And, you know, we talk about the weight rooms. There was talk about the, you know, what meals are available, stuff like that. And we saw change in the short term in that specifically, I know with the weight room the next day, I think the NCAA Twitter account was saying, Hey, look at this gorgeous weight room for the women, which is almost more infuriating because they could have done it from the beginning. Cause it obviously wasn't that hard, but right. Do you think the point has been made where we will see significant change, where it will start to be pushed into the equation next month when they start planning for the following year that what we do do in column A, we got to do in column B? Or do you think we'll be having this discussion in maybe a different form a year from now again? So there's a couple of things. There's, there's still things that happened this year that were unique to the pandemic that I hope they will continue forward. And let me just give you an example of one of those things. You might not remember this, but for a long time, the NCAA trucked in specialized floors to different remote sites so that they looked like NCAA floors, right? They weren't just the University of Dayton's home arena. It was NCAA March Madness with all of our logos and that type of thing. For years, they didn't do that for women except in the final four. And so finally, they said to them, look, you know, we, you've got to make let us feel like we're part of this. And why won't you do it? Well, it costs too much money. We can't get a sponsor. My fear is that we will revert back to those kinds of decision makings, because what the women are saying is we want all rounds to be the same, not just what it looks like at the hotel or in the, in the one facility that we're all sharing. But that's going to take money. 
Because if we go back to the campuses and host first or second rounds, which I know most coaches are not in favor of, but it is more cost effective for the NCAA for a campus to absorb the personnel costs and not for the NCAA. But that's a statement in and of itself to move them to neutral territories, to get away from the regionalization of women's basketball, which inherently makes it different than what they do in men's basketball, because it's cheaper to keep the regional teams closer together and playing each other. So there are a number of inequitable decisions that have been made in addition to the ones that we've talked about this year that just haven't drawn the same kind of attention. We talk about the the firestorm this has started. There's the firestorm on paying athletes. There's the, the firestorm of kind of adjacent to paying athletes, the name likeness image uh, breakthroughs we're starting to see. Are we starting to see kind of a perfect storm here of pressure on all sides where this thing could pop? And if it does, what would it look like, you think? Well, you, you know that something's about to happen when you have um, a number of not only NCAA uh, lawyers on the case, but the Power Five conferences also have their own lobbyists and lawyers uh, on, on the case, not only what's going on on Capitol Hill, but also what's going on at the state level, right? Because now we have, what, 31 states that have put in some form of names, images, and likenesses legislation. They don't want to be left behind now. They feel like their athletes are going to be disadvantaged. But you've got bipartisan support in the Senate and the House for this, which is really unusual in this environment. And so they're investing a lot of money in trying to influence the decision and what the trade-off is going to be for the NCAA to give up its model the way it currently exists, because they're still fighting next week in the Supreme Court to defend amateurism as they've defined it. And they're worried that if the Supreme Court strikes that down, that they may in fact be left with no model and they want to be there to be able to clean it up and make it look like something that has guardrails that matches their idea of amateurism. What do you think college sports NCAA looks like? You and I are sitting back in 10 years and talking about it. What do you think it's, it's all going to look like from an equity standpoint, men and women, from our kids getting paid? What do you, where do you think we'll be? I think we'll end up splitting. I think we'll have a, a truly uh, minor league farm system of, of top college programs that will want to invest. The I mean, this is an expensive operation. I mean, schools are looking at, higher education is looking at a major shift in the way the money that comes in through tuition, the way students want to consume their content on courses. We don't even know if students want to spend full, be full-time on campus. So where those revenue dollars come from is critical. So schools may be forced into a decision if it's going to cost them either more or less to pay, you know, to spend money to keep athletes within the boundaries of the law. And, and again, a reminder for the listeners, every other person on campus has always been able to monetize their name, image, and likeness. You and I going to school, we could both, if Gatorade wanted to have us you know, do something for their product, we could do that. But the athletes couldn't. So they're not asking for something extra. They're asking to be treated the same. And I think that's what's unique about this. And getting back to the men's women's tournament, are you hopeful that the message has finally been received that people that may be dismissed, the light has gone off? Or do you think, because I, being the cynic that I am, I heard some comments from Mark Emmert about the, the social media posts specifically with the weight room and he kind of dismissed it. And I, I found that distressing. I, I, I would be hopeful that the, the entire organization would want to make a shift 
after whatever happens at the congressional level, Supreme Court, you know, some of these NIL legislations are scheduled to take it to start July 1st of 2021. So that's four months away. So they've, they've got to fundamentally be told what, what they need to do because it, it feels like the organization itself is incapable of trying to, to make a decision in the guardrails they have set for themselves. You know, over the last century, the NCAA has, a very, has had a very moving definition of the term amateurism. Sometimes it includes a scholarship, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it included summer jobs, sometimes it didn't. It just varied on a scale depending on what uh, universities wanted. Well, we're going to have a new definition of what that looks like. And the question becomes is how does the NCAA manage it? That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.